Two girls talking. You know what that means. It's time to talk. What's going on in the world? How about your business? How about your life? Let's talk it out. Two girls talking. Hey everyone, it's Ashley. And it's Anna. And I cannot wait for this discussion because I learned a long time ago just how important sleep is to our entire life function and cycle. And the woman we're going to talk with today, she and her company have made it their business literally to put us to sleep. Now, some of Tara Youngblood's story is one that many of us can relate to. We all need sleep and we are just not getting a good one. But very few of us actually throw ourselves into finding a solution the way Tara did. So here she is to talk about her sleep recipe, Tara Youngblood, and how it can help all of us. She is co-founder, CEO, and chief scientist at Chili Sleep Systems. Her company makes products to help us all sleep better. And to tell us about the science behind this, welcome, Tara. I am so excited to talk to you about this. Can't wait for this. Yes, I'm so excited to be here. Can't, can't wait to share all of my sleep geek stuff. I know, sleep geek, exactly. I love so, it. Let's jump into this. So the late Stuart Scott used to say, oh, it's cooler than the other side of the pillow. And that was something so true, right? Because whenever we get hot, right, don't we all just flip over the pillow to get a much more relaxed feeling and go to sleep? So how and why did you throw yourself into finding a sleep solution? So the, the story sort of starts with my husband, Todd, is my co-founder. His uncle invented the waterbed, and we kind of got the entrepreneurial bug. So we've actually brought over 100 different products to market and are super geeky in the consumer product space. Um, when we came up with the idea for the chili pad, microclimate seats in cars were coming out. And I'm like, if a driver and a passenger can have a different temperature, I sure as heck don't want the same temperature as you because um, he would sleep on a slab of ice. And I'm like, that does not sound like a good idea for me. And so it was really to sort of half solve some of that bedroom argument. Um, but it turns out the science actually agrees with it as well. Um, my story, unfortunately, um, in 2008, we lost our youngest son, Benjamin, and the grief and depression um, and, and really mental illness. Uh, it's such a, a bad word in our society. It really shouldn't be that bad, but really destroyed it. And, you know, if you look at uh, studies by the CDC and others, if you're not sleeping, that lack of sleep very quickly turns into basically like a state of being drunk. And so uh, for about a year, I went through all of the stuff we do as mom, driving my kids to school. And it's crazy. And this is part of that mental health thing that's just drives me nuts about our world. If I had truly driven my kids to school drunk, someone would have stopped it. They would have intervened. They would have said, hey, you need help. You really need to fix this. Um, sleep is not something that people intervene on. Even as we hear our friends say, we can't get sleep, we can't get there. Um, but for me, I kind of hit that epiphany, honestly, selling our product going, okay, I'm still not sleeping. How do I make this work even better for me? Um, it turns out I was using our own product wrong. And the science of how to use that right, how to create a recipe, how to make sleep easy and foolproof became my number one mission. So I, I did research. Uh, I've done full like sleep classes worth. I have uh, an office full of sleep textbooks, uh, went into neuroscience and psychology, spent a bunch of time in Ayurvedic and uh, 
even Chinese medicine, trying to figure out what are the different methodologies to get there? What are all these herbs that people talk about? Melatonin, what does it all do? Um, so tried to get to that spot. And really, it does boil down to we're all really different. Even what works for me won't exactly work for you. But how do we decipher all that information and turn it into recipe? That really became my mission. Oh, wow. Wow. I mean, I, okay, I have so many questions. I like, where do I start? Um, okay, first of all, I want to know, like, how do you sleep now? Are you sleeping great? And you're using your products. And I also want to know all about your sleep products. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so I will say I'm really geeky. I, um, I don't recommend sleep trackers unless you're ready to dive in and really get into the data, into the optimization. But I do do that. And, um, you know, I'm happy to always share my, my scores because deep sleep is something that diminishes with age. It diminishes with stress. It diminishes with alcohol. It diminishes with eating at the wrong time. It just is something that's very elusive. It's like the unicorn of sleep. And it's really hard to get. So that's really where I focused. And I can say that uh, even last night, I got over two hours of deep sleep. Um, generally that's something that 20 year old gets. And by the time you're 80, you get less than seven. Some, uh, elderly people get none at all. And that's why every disease of the elderly is attached to this deep sleep, uh, mm. metric. It's, it's wow. really, you know, big part of our future health conversation, I believe, but it is crazy how much we need. So I, I do kind of rock it now and I, I can even in six hours still get the right kind of sleep. So how, I mean, like, so to, how do you do that? So part of it is knowing the right temperature at the right time. And I kind of alluded that temperature is magical. So it talks to your unconscious brain, our prefrontal cortex, that thinking part, it gets in the way a lot in sleep. That's, that's the thing that sabotages sleep most of the time. But temperature is one of those things that bypasses the willpower bypasses the conversation and can get you where you need to go. So it talks to that unconscious brain. It's uh, been coined the sleep switch, not myself, but Clifford Sapier out of Harvard was the first person to do that. And actually that's what triggers the release of melatonin. And it, what it also does is it triggers your deep sleep cycles. And so as you get colder in the night, and I do like to warm up to fall asleep. I've got my weighted blanket. I warm up, uh, you know, all those people like I can't sleep cold. Like I said, my husband can go into bed and he can be on a slab of ice and fall asleep, but I need to be warm and snuggly. But the moment I'm asleep, I need to get cold. I need to facilitate my body to drop two degrees of core body temperature and in order to do that, my, my bed has to be colder. And when your body's doing that, then you can get your two hours of, of deep sleep. And even with less than eight, you can still get it, which is pretty exciting. So let me, let me ask you, can you, ahead, you yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's so crazy. Like, can you do things like this type of stuff? Can you do things to increase your deep sleep? Yeah, like not, so like I'm not at a loss like now, right? I'm like I'm not going down the hill so fast right that we can't <laughs> the train. Yeah, no. So I do say, you know, unfortunately, sleep is the biggest buzzkill for the party animal out there. Um, and there is sort of that last call for alcohol, last call for food, um, because the things that will prevent that core body temperature from falling are metabolism from metabolizing that alcohol. It is metabolism from that big, you know, we got for a late night steak dinner at seven or eight and hang out with our friends. Unfortunately, that's going to be the stuff that makes deep sleep hard. The other one is the stress monster. And I started calling it a stress monster, honestly, to work through it with my kids. 
Um, and we wake up every morning and the stress monster is this little guy. And I think when you picture the Musinex commercials, yeah. Uh, yeah. I picture a little dude like that. And uh, it's, it's healthy that when you work out, you know, there is cortisol, stress is not all bad, but if he's small and healthy, you can have that conversation. But during the day, COVID, whatever things are going on in your life, that stress monster can get really big. And if he climbs in bed with you and he's huge, he's a big, giant, burly, ugly thing, that's not going to allow you to go to sleep. And if you can fall asleep, it's going to wake you back up. It's not going to allow you to have your regular sleep cycle. So that's the other, the other big factor besides the food and alcohol. It's the management of that big dude that wanders with you during your day. So, so like, what, how do you suggest you reduce that man? Like, how do you manage that, that dude of that big ball of stress? I guess I I do like deep breathing and meditation. That certainly does help. I'm wondering what you do. Because this is a stressful time. It is. It is terrible. It is terrible. So it is like crazy. Yeah. So honestly, I I give the credit to BJ Fogg out of Stanford. He has a book out called Tiny Habits. And it's all about breaking things into little pieces and anchoring them to things you do throughout the day. So we all use the restroom. And as moms, we don't always get to use the restroom alone. But when we can to, to use the restroom, close the door and take an extra minute to breathe. And it is really easy when you attach it to that using the restroom, taking one extra minute there, we can make that happen. And studies have shown that just breathing, and you want to breathe in generally less in uh, than out, so three seconds in, six, six, six seconds out. If you do that for a whole minute, they've actually shown that your bloodstream that may have been packed full of that cortisol, all that stress, will actually go to almost zero. So it's like wow. one minute. And, and on average, we use the restroom between five to seven times a day. And just doing that is like, a huge impact on the size of that stress monster. And, you know, you have to use the restroom anyway. So while you're, even while you're washing your hands, do your breathing, you know, part of That's COVID protocol. That I'm, is, like, I'm starting that habit today. Right? I was just thinking that's, cr- I wonder if only people knew that, how much. Yeah, more- well, now they do if they're listening. Exactly, <laughs> right? Because that is something I can do. I mean, Ashley and I are, are both a big meditation and she's a much bigger yoga person than I am. Um, it takes me takes me months to get through weeks of yoga practice, but Ashley is really, really good at it. But we both are like doing well, do it, probably doing better than the average bear when it comes to that. So we do a lot of breathing, but I didn't even know that. I didn't know that. Yeah. I, and, and I think like as parents, we forget to breathe throughout the day. Like it's right? like, you know, yeah. we're, we're, you know, I'm jumping from work to podcast interviews to kids. Like, and I don't have a moment for myself ever. And, mm-hmm. but it's like what you're saying, Tara, is it's about finding those like right. one minute, like that tiny moment and using that just because we all stop to pee. Unfortunately, at the end of the day, you just, you, I mean, no matter what you're doing, you hit that point. You're like, okay, I don't care what I have to do, but yeah. now I have to go to the bathroom. Like it, it's yeah. just an anchoring what you want to do to those same things. And, and the other thing is, is get out sunshine early in the day. And, and that's, that's going to be really helpful for, because the moment you wake up, uh, you want to start driving towards sleep and you want to turn off that sleep switch. And that's get outside even 20 minutes, you know, first thing in the morning can make a big difference also in that sort of same stress equation, but also in when your body's looking to next fall asleep. Oh, wow. Okay. All right. Here's the question that I feel like a lot of people are going to have. 
and I know I kind of know what you're going to say, but talk to us about having electronics by your bed or looking at electronics before bedtime. I'm, you know, guilty of watching my Netflix shows or getting text messages or sleeping with my phone next to my bed. Last night I turned it off, but I want to know the science behind that. Like convince me why it's a bad idea to do. And I know it is, or at least I'm assuming you're going to tell me it is. Yeah. So there's, there's two different things that are, that are happening with the electronics. One, um, uh, I know we're on audio, but I am wearing blue light glasses. Part of that is the, the light receptors. We're trying to train our bodies to be able to go to sleep. And if the lights are on all day the same way, and even as we go to bed, that makes it hard to go to sleep. So that's one part of the equation. And that's just, again, that's those same triggers that help you fall asleep. If it was bright and sparkly sunshine, if you know, right up until you go to sleep, it's going to make it really hard to fall asleep. Whether it's temperature or light, whatever those triggers are, some people light is a bigger trigger than others, but it, it is definitely part of that equation. Electronics is another, that is a whole can of worms. We could probably talk for an hour about that. So I'll try <laughs> to keep it, keep it really short. So anytime you have electricity, which is electrons moving, anytime one electron moves one little tiny bit, it creates a magnetic field. And we like to think of magnetic fields of those magnets coming together and that's good, but our cells don't like a constant magnetic field. What it does is it throws off their functions and over time, basically it's like adding stress. And so again, it's part of that stress monster, those elect that electricity, that dirty electricity. Now, if it's pulsing, that's where people are like, well, it can be good, can't it? And the earth does pulse its electromagnetic field. And that's actually our brain waves match that pulse. That's how birds migrate. But that pulsing part makes all the difference. If we're in a constant state of having that electricity, that's why that, you know, the cancer warnings for EMFs exist is that does lead to all of those things. Um, there is a distance that and strength that factors into that. And there are different people that'll be way more sensitive to those EMFs and others. Um, I think the number is going to shift, especially with uh, 5G and the more electricity that's in our lives. We have Wi-Fi. You know, it's one thing if it's one small source, but our lives are now so surrounded with it. So if you think about sleep as your time to reboot and heal, you really want your sleep space to be as clear from everything. That includes that stress monster and those EMFs that add stress into the equation. The less you have, the better. It doesn't mean you need to be totally pure. All of us fall into that that watching Netflix, especially during COVID, because you just want to let it roll and it just rolls into the next one. Yeah. It's, really, it's really easy to want to do that. Um, but when you're, you know, it's a, it's really a treat for yourself and your, your body to, to do what you can to keep that space clean. Just like clean eating, it's, it's the same kind of thing. Trying to keep the electricity space clean is important. So this is something, so I have teenagers and both of my teens have those little LED lights and they like to have them on when they sleep. Really? Yes. Yeah. Alexandra, not as much as Joe. But Joe definitely will sleep. They're under his bed. It's not like it's shining on his eyes. They're under his bed. But he definitely likes to have some sort of light. And I don't, you know, he sleeps. They all yep. sleep. I can't tell if they're actually in deep sleep because, you know, I'm not taking this. Yeah, yeah. But I don't, I don't, is that bad? No, you know, I, that is definitely, so the, I think the biggest message I, I try to share is 
sleep has had so much damning information around it. Uh, eight hours is one of those myths that you mentioned. Eight hours came about when we were industrialized. The factory workers fought for eight hours off. They just needed eight hours to not be working on the factory floor the whole time. And it's stuck that that's the eight hours we need to shut down. It doesn't mean that if you get less than that, you're the worst. And if it doesn't mean if you work more than that. Now, there's studies that obviously you can't go for lack of sleep for a long time. And all of those are true. But what the timing of what, what works, the light that works, the temperature that works, that's all really individual. And it does go back to like figuring out your recipe, thinking about what works for you. Maybe the breathing exercise I suggested is not great. Maybe it's box breath instead. Maybe it's yoga versus Pilates. Maybe it's, you know, gratitude and intention and journaling versus something else. Whatever that interpretation is, that's part of own. I think as women, we need to own our, our own bodies and, and who we are and understand that and then apply that to our health. Okay. I'm so curious what your bedtime routine looks like. What is yes. It? So I, um, I, first thing I do recommend always is to check your chronotype, which for me, I'm a morning person. So I do like to, to sort of that 10 o'clock is my window. So around mm -hmm. nine o'clock, I really need to shut down. Um, Todd is a night owl. So we had to, as partners say, I will not talk about work stuff after nine o'clock. I just can't, I need one hour of, I'm going to read, I'm going to be peaceful, take a bath, do whatever that particular evening is. Um, you know, the biggest part for me does go back to that stress monster. And I feel like even in COVID, it's, it's all the anxiety of what ifs come in. But if you start with gratitude, if you start with the grounding of this is, this is where I'm grateful, this is, this is where I need to start. So that sort of, um, we ask three questions in our house of our kids, even as part of bedtime. You know, what, what am I grateful for today? What was my daily good? And what was my highlights? And that's a big part of our, our routine, not just for me, but for them. And then I snuggle in under my weighted blanket and my Uller, and I'm warm to sleep, but I do have my schedule cool down after that. I love that. Okay, um, what are your thoughts on sleep machines? So I recently got a sleep machine that makes noise. Um, it's just white noise. At first I was like, do I need this? But then my husband wakes up for work at 4, 4.30 every morning, and I, I don't. And I mean, but he would wake me up, and I would not be able to get back to sleep. So I got this sleep machine, and sometimes I don't even hear him leave now. So I'm curious what your thoughts are on, on, on those, or if there's any science to back up, like a, a, why or how a sound machine may or may not work. Yeah, sound is a really fascinating, it's it very similar to temperature and then it talks to your unconscious brain. And so you can actually manipulate brain waves with sound. Um, there's white noise, pink noise, brown noise. There's all sorts of different uh, type of frequencies uh, about how to manipulate that. Um, there is sort of different preferences, you know, even as we talk about um, like people ask, well, how noisy is your machine? There's a decibel rating, but then there's also that comfort rating that comes with the pitch of that decibel. So there's, there's pitch and tone as well as sort of the, just the overall volume. And, and that's where, again, it goes back to different people are going to need to find those solutions. The fragmented sleep that you were getting with your husband waking you up was far worse than, than have, you know, having that machine working. And so whatever works for sleep, that's where it's take note of it though. Like that's a huge win. That should go on your recipe board of like, 
heck yeah, I need this. And it probably will even help you if you travel, if it's something you can travel with. Mm. But there are white noise, even podcasts or things like that. But, you know, we're not traveling as much right now. But those are all the things that go into the recipes so that when you are traveling or when you're outside of your space, you can say, oh, but this is what works. I know how to repeat that because sleep does like those habits. One of the issues that I have is I'm still a journalist. Excuse me. And so when I'm working the overnight shifts, I am responding to those much, much worse than I did 15, 20 years ago. You know, my body is just not recovering as well. And I find that um, the first couple of days I can push through if I had to do it. But honestly, by the end of the week, I'm dead. I mean, it doesn't make a difference if I sleep during the day or not. But what I find that helps me so much is when I, at the end of those shifts, just go and sleep for like an hour, hour and a half. Mm-hmm. I, can't, I cannot sleep eight hours during the day or, or even seven hours during the day. Yeah. I just can't. Yeah. I don't know what it is. There's just something about, I don't know, the light, maybe the daylight. Maybe I have FOMO. I don't know. Um, but I cannot sleep during the day. Yeah, it's part of that equation. Unfortunately, as we get older, our sensitivity, again, I'm guessing in that losing that shift work, you're losing that deep sleep, and it's just harder to get, harder to replicate. And as we get older, our sort of battery reserves on that get also diminished. So sleep becomes a bigger part of how our memories have to recharge. If you're basically working that night shift with a high cognitive load, that means that your brain is holding those memories and having to work through it. So what happens during deep sleep that's really interesting with memories is uh, you don't file those during the day. They're piled up on your desk and they're, you know, kind of equivalent. You stick them in there and you say, okay, your brain then at night takes those out over a period of a week to two weeks and says, okay, is that a long-term memory or do I not care what you ate for lunch two weeks ago? And it throws out two weeks ago lunch pretty, pretty regularly. But the other stuff, if it never gets sorted, all of that jumble of information sits there and it makes it harder to recover. So when you're not getting deep sleep, the other cognitive part is our memories. And that's where they're tying it now to those Alzheimer's, uh, cognitive loss, all those different pieces, our tolerance for how much room we have in our desk gets harder and harder. And so we have limited desk space we have to clear every day. Oh, interesting. Fascinating. Also, I'm totally not envious of Anna's overnight shifts. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Even in my 20s, it was something I couldn't recover from. I just was like, this is not for me. I just couldn't do it. Um, so Tara, tell us about your book. I am so curious. Reprogram your, your sleep. So tell us what it's all about. Yeah. So I think it recaps a fair amount of what we talked about today. Uh, you know, um, it was really interesting when I talked to my editor, he's, he asked me to get uh, a person in my head who was my ideal reader. And I had met this woman um, a couple years ago now before I wrote the book. And she hadn't slept through the night uh, since the birth of her second child. She had gone to her doctor and said, hey, I'm not sleeping. How does this work? Why am I getting hot flashes? You, know, like you're, you have no hormonal problems. You're not in menopause. Um, they're now starting to call this sort of uh, circadian rhythm uh, disorder or things like that. But there was no real name for it. And, you know, she would check and get – she just couldn't sleep. Um, and so, you know, for me – 
it's kind of and it, using her as an example and, and other examples on how to flesh out and find your recipe. So it really does walk you through sort of that program of how do you start, where do you start diagnosing your own sleep? And it's not in a clinical way, but it's a, okay, well, I get up every night at three o'clock, I'm going to work on fixing that. Or I have a hard time falling asleep, I'm going to work on fixing that. And it kind of walks you through trying to figure out what are the things that are preventing you from getting uh, sleep? How do you get rid of those? And then how do you find the things that really work for you? Oh, wow. Tara, I've had such a great time with this and I've, I've learned so much. Sleep is like just so important. And as my daughter who was born a teenager and could sleep 12, 13, 14, 16, <laughs> right? Uh, we'll tell you it's important to her too. So tell our listeners how they can find out about you. Yeah, so you can go to chilitechnology.com. I've got a blog there. I'm on all the social media stuff as the sleep geek, as I mentioned, uh, like to geek out on sleep. Um, so anywhere you want to look, you can tag me there, ask me questions. I love answering sleep questions, as you can see on this podcast. Um, so track me down. All right. Awesome. Tara, this has been fascinating. So I like, I love this. And I feel like in a time of COVID sleep has been something that I've struggled with, but also have had small wins with like that sleep machine I got. So uh, thank you so much for sharing your, your knowledge and expertise with us. And um, I encourage everyone who's listening to check out Tara, check out her book and uh, everybody get some good sleep tonight. <laughs> yeah. I yes. can't wait. Can't wait to sleep. Yay! Yay. Thanks, Yay. Thanks, Tara. Bye. Thanks, guys. Thank you, listeners. <laughs>